We can keep Philippians chapter 4 open as we come to study this evening verses 14 to 20. Philippians 4 verses 14 to 20. People sometimes talk about something coming full circle. That is that an event or a story as it comes to an end, it inevitably makes us think about how it all began. We saw this, for example, with the passing of the late Queen last year. The time taken to reflect on her entire reign, her her early life, the influences that made her who she was. The end tends to make us remember the beginning. And we're very nearly at the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in the section that we deal with tonight, Paul uses a word that he used almost at the very beginning of his letter. Back in Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 to 5 he said, I thank my God always in every prayer of mine for you all. And then he says, because of your partnership in the gospel. Your partnership in the gospel. And he uses the word partnership again here in chapter 4 verse 15. It's also translated fellowship elsewhere in the New Testament, this particular word And Paul uses it to emphasize to the Philippians how they have shared together with him in the service of Christ. Even though they've been separated by a huge distance, even though uh, they've they've been staying in Philippi, Paul has been going all over the place. He's emphasizing to them how thankful he is for the generosity shown to him by the Philippians. And yet at the same time, he's assuring them of his trust in God. To continue to provide for him and indeed for them by whatever means God chooses. And so in thanking the Philippians here, ultimately Paul is saying that he sees in their provision for him, the provision of God for him. And so we think tonight about generous God and a generous church. I want to think, think of this passage simply under two headings. First of all this evening, God's generosity experienced. God's generosity experienced. If you look at verse 15 again, he says, You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul is saying here that the Philippians had done something that no other church had done. The Philippians had continually consistently, regularly supported Paul long after he'd left them. He says there, from the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia. So what he's saying is, from the first time that he came and preached the gospel to them, because Philippi was in uh, the region of Macedonia. So he says, from that time, and then when I left Macedonia and went elsewhere, you've kept on supporting me, financially, practically, prayerfully, materially. Paul had moved on, he says in verse 16, to Thessalonica, which was 95 miles away. But the Philippians still kept supporting him in a way that no one else did. And the book of Acts, if you read it carefully, shows us very clearly what a great impact this unique partnership of the Philippians had on Paul's ministry. Acts chapter 18, verse 3, tells us how when Paul first arrived in Corinth, He worked as a tent maker. Uh, So to support himself financially, uh, he he carried on his trade of tent making. 
But then verse 5 of Acts 18 tells us that Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, from the region that Philippi was in. And from that time, Paul, it says, became occupied full time with preaching the word of God. So why was that? Why was Paul able to go from part-time to full-time ministry when Silas and Timothy arrived? Well, it was because Silas and Timothy brought generous support from Macedonia, from Philippi. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 9, uh, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 9, the brothers from Macedonia supplied my need. And we know where exactly in Macedonia that help came from. It came from Philippi. Because Paul says here, no no one else, no other church committed themselves to the kind of unique, regular, consistent generosity that you showed. And so the Philippians, friends, have been funding the preaching of the word in Corinth, in Thessalonica, in other places. Paul's letter to the Corinthians also emphasized the sacrificial nature of the Philippians' generosity. Just listen to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. All of that sounds a bit contradictory. He says they were extremely impoverished And yet he says they gave generously. So even though they themselves were perhaps facing financial difficulties, they still prioritized giving to the work of the Lord. He says here in Philippians 4 verse 18, uh, regarding what they had given to Paul, he says, I have received full payment and more. That phrase full payment, if you were in a higher purchase arrangement, say for uh, purchasing a car and you make your final payment well then it's, it's stamped on your receipt paid in full no more that needs to be given and Paul says to the Philippians you haven't just paid in full uh, you've paid more than enough more than you needed to give me and just look how he describes their generosity in the second half of verse 18 remember here by the way he's talking about the gift that he mentioned earlier in the letter that this man Epaphroditus had sent, uh, had come with rather. This man Epaphroditus had brought a gift to Paul as he sat under house arrest in Rome. And how does Paul describe it in verse 18, this gift from the Philippians? He says it is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so friends, that language of a fragrant offering, that's Old Testament language. We're told in Genesis chapter 8 that when Noah finally got out of the ark, he worshipped God, he offered burnt sacrifices to God. And Genesis 8, 21 says, God smelled the pleasing aroma and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Same words are used to describe the sacrifices instituted by the law of Moses, that they were sweet-smelling aromas. There was a fragrance to them that pleased God because of the way in which they were given and, and the attitude in which they were given. There are certain smells or scents or aromas that, that we each like. Maybe you have a favorite particular perfume or aftershave 
Uh, maybe at this time of year, you, you love the smell of food cooking on the barbecue. Uh, I was having a discussion with one of the, uh, the children this morning about which of us had been to the better barbecue yesterday. Or, or maybe you love the, the smell of freshly mown grass uh, in the summer or the springtime. These things attract us. We, we like the smell of them. We, we get a whiff of them and, and it puts a smile on our face. And Paul says here, friends, that God loves the aroma of gracious giving, of sacrificial giving, sacrificial obedience. Paul says here that the generous giving of the Philippians, it's an act of worship. It gets to the heart of what the Old Testament sacrifices symbolized, obedience and cheerful submission to God. And not only is it an act of worship to God when we provide for the cause of his kingdom or for the needs of fellow believers, it's an act of partnership in the Lord's work. Paul is the one out there traveling, going to new places with the gospel, even having to spend time under arrest, a prisoner of the empire for the gospel. But at this point in his life, as he reflects upon all that's been going on, he's thankful for this special partnership with the Philippians. And yes, he's under house arrest and he's not in some dark pit or some cold cell. Uh, But nonetheless, friends, the Roman soldiers would not have been one bit concerned with Paul's welfare. Health and safety, a prisoner's human rights, prison cleanliness standards. None of those things were too high up the list of priorities in the Roman emperor's administration. Paul would have had to rely on friends and family for his basic meals, to be clothed, to be looked after. And he experienced all of that. He had plenty of that thanks to his gospel partner's Back in Philippi. Notice he also tells them that they themselves will be rewarded for their generosity. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Or some of your translations will have there. I seek the profit that accrues to your account. And Paul's using here the language of accountancy and he's Uh, He's saying something again that might sound strange at first, but he's saying that by giving so generously, the Philippians will actually find themselves enriched personally. That as much as they are giving away money or clothing or food to the needs of the kingdom, God is no man's debtor, as we often say. He's saying here that God will reward their cheerful, glad gospel giving. Now that biblical truth has been distorted and twisted by false gospel preachers in our day. And this is what we sometimes refer to as uh, the gospel of health and wealth. And maybe you flicked on TV channels and you've seen uh, the kinds of preachers that sometimes appear in TV channels. And they stand there in these thousand pound suits with fake tan and teeth blindingly white. And they tell people, call this number, give this amount of money, fund my private jet. And God will just pour lots of money right back into your pockets and give you whatever you want. That's not what Paul is saying here. But he is saying that God, in whatever way he chooses, will reward and will bless cheerful, sacrificial giving to his kingdom. And God's people partner together for any kingdom cause. 
It fosters a unity. It fosters a joyfulness as together we work or we give to whatever cause that it is that God has given us opportunity to give to. And so we hear about the work of European Missionary Fellowship or International Mission to Jewish People. Or we'll hear on Tuesday night about uh, the work of Asia Link. And, and together we pray about that and together we, we give to those things. And perhaps sometimes even ourselves we get to go to some place or to take part in some project for the advance of the gospel. And it brings us together and it's, it gives us joy. It doesn't mean we get uh, lots of money flowing back into our own accounts immediately. But there's more than one type of reward in the world. It's not just financial reward that we look for. We look for the, the reward of joy and blessing. As together we partner for the cause of Christ. We also then have the reward of seeing the gospel advance. Remember that's what Paul told the Philippians that their gift was doing. Back in chapter 1 he says, I want you to know that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That even as I sit here a prisoner in Rome, I'm able to preach, I'm able to talk to people. People are coming to meet me. Caesar's household is hearing the gospel. And again, isn't that our ultimate goal in everything we do as a church? That people would be hearing the good news about Jesus Christ and receiving salvation. God is no man's debtor. He rewards cheerful, sacrificial, generous givers. He will reward you. He will reward us in whatever ways he sees fit. When we give generously to the cause of the kingdom. However it is that we give. Our time, our money, our prayers. Ourselves going somewhere perhaps. And behind this generous giving of the Philippians friends. Paul ultimately saw the generous giving of God. God was supplying his needs through the Philippians. And that's really the principle that should govern all our giving in church life, friends, that, that are, we, are we giving a generous amount? Are we giving a sacrificial amount? You've likely heard me or others say this before, but, but the tithe, we talk about our tithes and offerings, and the tithe is a biblical principle right back to Old Testament times. But even the, in the Old Testament, the tithe was really a baseline for the giving of the people of God. And if you count up all the ways in which the law commanded the people to give, uh, to, to maintain the worship of God and to uh, bless the people of God. It was much more than a tithe. It's not for preachers to put a figure on it today, but you yourself know before God how generously you're giving. Not just to the needs of this congregation. From what I can see, the evidence suggests this is a very generous congregation. But of course we can give in other areas to, to people or to ministries uh, that we have a particular burden for. The Philippians understood that they were gospel partners with Paul. He might be off preaching in Corinth or church planting in Ephesus. But they, spiritually speaking, could be right alongside him. They had a stake in the spread of the good news. They wanted to see the gospel advance. The first missionary work on the continent of Europe was funded almost exclusively, it seems, by the Philippian congregation. Do we want to see people from all nations, from our community, but from all nations, tribes, languages, 
hearing the gospel, repenting of sin, trusting in Christ. Well, we can be right there on the front line without ever even leaving our doorstep. We can give generously and sacrificially so that other people would experience God's provision through us. And so let's not hold back, friends. Let's not doubt God's goodness to us. Remember again that it will be to your credit that blessing of one kind or another is waiting for those who in faith give generously for the cause of Christ. God's generosity experienced And then also uh, God's generosity assured. God's generosity assured. Paul says in verse 18, I am well supplied by what you have given me. And then look what he says in verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says here, you've supplied me in a way that pleases God and honours him. And so if in future you are ever in need, God will supply you too. As I've mentioned, the Philippians weren't all fabulously wealthy people. Some of them might have been. But again, from what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, they themselves knew what it was to experience poverty. And so it was certainly possible that having been so generous, the Philippians could in future find themselves falling on hard times. What would happen to them? The same thing that happened to Paul when he found himself in prison. God will supply their needs. Now notice he says, your needs, not necessarily your wants. There are many things we might want. They might not be what we need. Many of us have had the experience of spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ in in far more deprived parts of the world who are not wealthy, but they are content because God is supplying what they need for just one day at a time. And they're content to rely upon God for one day at a time. And I'm sure we could spend all night sharing stories of Christians serving God in the midst of financial constraints, but having their needs miraculously supplied by God. I remember reading about a young couple in America who felt called into full-time youth ministry and they had moved across the country. They they left well-paying jobs to serve this church uh, and the youth group. And a few months after starting their work, they were down to 13 cents in their bank account. They couldn't even afford, they reflected upon it, they couldn't even afford to buy toilet paper. And so they prayed for God to supply their needs. And that night, as a very strange sort of thank you for their ministry, and I would ask that our CY members never bother to do this, but the young people of their church decided to come and rule their house. For those of you who don't know, if someone rules your house, they throw tons of toilet roll all over it. And just deck your house in streams of toilet paper. But this particular youth group didn't do a very good job of it. There was only one roll of toilet paper thrown over the house. And whether they heard someone coming or whatever, they just scarpered. And they left a huge big pack of toilet rolls basically sitting on the front doorstep. Next morning, the couple come downstairs and realize God has supplied our needs. The founder of Quaker Oats, maybe some of you have Quaker Oats in your cupboard. The founder of Quaker Oats was a Christian man 
who committed himself to giving a little bit more each year uh, to God than he had given the year before. Starting with a tiny amount in his early days, he ended up giving more than 60% of his yearly income to the Lord's work. He said, every year I've tried to get ahead of God, but he has always beaten me. He's always given more to me than I have to him. And Paul gives the Philippians assurance here, friends, in verse 19, that whether they are always able to provide for him or not, God will provide for him and he will provide for them. And let's just break down verse 19 a little bit as we meditate on it. Uh, Look at verse 19. We see, first of all, the certainty of God's provision. My God will supply all your needs. There was absolutely no doubt in Paul's mind. God will do it. I wonder, do we think in these terms each day, friends, that God has and does and will supply our needs? By his grace, all of us here this evening can say, no matter what worries or anxieties we may have about finances or about the national economy, whatever it might be, we didn't starve yesterday. We haven't starved today. And by God's grace, none of us here this evening are going to starve tomorrow. He can do, he can, he can supply our needs any way he wants. That might be the church youth group leaving toilet roll on your doorstep. More often than not, in our situation, it's God providing for us through our weekly or our monthly income. The work that he has provided for us to do, the work that we are fit and able to do, the opportunity we have to do it, that is God supplying our needs. For Christians in other parts of the world, perhaps they're more used to God providing in far more unusual ways. An anonymous donation at just the right time, a surprising turn of events, a providential encounter. One way or another, Paul says, God, rather, Paul says, God will supply all your needs. Ask Him, trust Him, and you'll see it happen. Consider too here the source of God's provision. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, God has an infinite supply of riches. And in Christ, he is already, if we're Christians this evening, or if you become a Christian this evening, God has already supplied your greatest need. Your greatest need is not a pay rise. Your greatest need is not a bigger house. Your greatest need is not a career that gives you financial security for life. Your greatest need is not even better health and strength. Your greatest need is to have someone to whom you can say, my sin is forgiven because of him. And that is what God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for thoughts, words and deeds that are contrary to God's law. That would doom us to death and hell. But through Christ from which we are saved and forgiven. And if God has given you that. What makes you think that there's anything else that you need. That he won't also be able to supply. In Ephesians 5 Paul says that none of us hate our own body. But we love and care for it. The scriptures also tell us that Christ is the head of the church. And the church is the body of Christ. How much more will he love and provide for us? 
Remember again Romans 8.32. We thought about it this morning in relation to Abraham. Romans 8.32. He who spared not his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him. Freely give us all things. Paul says he has riches in glory to tap into. An unlimited supply of riches. An infinite amount. And so even if we do live in days of shortages and price rises and supply chain issues all things by the way the bible tells us to expect in some measure between the first and second comings of christ because of sin and judgment in our world but nonetheless friends even as we deal with those things and we might be tempted to worry what if the supplies run out what if i can't pay my bills what about all these cuts of government funding paul says god has an infinite supply From which he can provide for our needs. Not necessarily our wants. But our needs in Christ. God cares about you body and soul. God does not just care about the spiritual. God cares about the physical too. He's not just going to save our souls for heaven. He's also going to save our bodies. Resurrect our bodies. For life in a a whole new earth. With food and uh, and, and a, a world to explore and things to enjoy physically for eternity. Body and soul matter to God. That's why things like the Blythewood Shoebox Appeal or uh, some of the projects of Asia Link or more local work is so important that as we preach the gospel, we also show a care for people's physical needs, reflecting the care of God for both spiritual and physical needs. The certainty God will supply all our needs. The source is riches and glory in Christ. Then lastly friends we see the result of God's generosity to us. And the result should be our praise of God. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what we call in scripture a doxology. It just means an outburst of praise. From Paul as he just considers again all that he's been saying. How good God has been to him. How good he has been to the Philippians. The, the, the blessings that he gives. He just praises God. To him be the glory. Parents we sometimes get frustrated when our children don't show appreciation for the things we give them. And of course it's true we, we should train them to be thankful. To realise how blessed they are. To express thanksgiving for all they have. But at the same time as parents, it is our job to provide for them. It's our responsibility to provide for our children who was born in our house and under our care. Friends, God did not have to care for us. We walked out of his house, turned our backs upon him, declared that we didn't need him, chose to live in sinful rebellion against him. And yet he has still chosen to be generous to us. God so loved the world that he gave He gave Christ, the one who was enjoying all the riches of heaven and yet gave it all up, took on human flesh, humbled himself, impoverished himself, gave himself even to death on the cross so that we could become rich. God has already provided Christ. What other needs do you have that you think he can't provide for? He's got an infinite supply. And they're at the disposal of his people. So trust him friends. Ask him. 
And he will give you what you need. Just as he gave to Abraham as we considered this morning. And when he does give to us. May we not forget to do what Paul does here. Thank him. And praise his name. Having received of his wonderful generosity ourselves. May we like the Philippians make sure to give generously to others. To partner together. Whether it be with missionaries and needy brothers and sisters around the world. Whether it be more locally here for the cause of Christ and Dremore. So that the gospel might advance. And that so through us God might meet the needs of others. My God will supply every need of yours. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. May the knowledge that we have a generous God. Make us a generous church. Amen.